0: My goal is to use photography to help other people see another means of going through the trauma or pain in their life that they can exhale. Because I think at the end of the day, the goal is to find something that you can connect to and that gives you joy. Once you feel that sense of joy and and, and sense of happiness, you can make your way forward.
1: Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now, hear your co-host, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey, welcome back to Therapist Uncensored. This is Sue Marriott, and I have in studio today a extremely special guest. <laughs> Alfonso Appleton. Welcome. Thank you. Alfonso we met what seven years ago is that yeah, right seven years ago yeah in Robertsport Liberia
0: that's right
1: <laughs> at that time I got to stay at your house is that right right <laughs> <laughs> that was really fun and now Alfonso is staying at our house
0: nice <laughs>
1: <laughs> in Austin Texas which is really cool
0: it's amazing it's good to be in Austin
1: and I'm so pleased that you agreed to come onto the podcast. There's so much to talk about, but one of the really amazing and very cool things is one of the things that brought us together by some sort of magic is Dan Siegel. Is that not the weirdest thing?
0: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, without going into the whole story, because that's not the most interesting part of of it, but a nonprofit brought me and Ann Kelly, to Robertsport, Liberia to do some attachment work. And they found us through our work with interpersonal neurobiology. And we got to go there and meet Alfonso and many of your mates. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess, do you want to pick up from there as far as?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I I think I can go ahead and introduce myself. I'm Alfonso Appleton. I'm a Liberian surfer, president of the Liberian Association, and I'm a surfer and a photographer. I was born in Liberia during the heat of the Civil War in Robertsport. So I'm from Robertsport, northwest of Monrovia, which is like three hours drive from the capital city. I was born and grew up in Robertsport, so I basically lived my entire life in Robertsport.
1: So being in the United States has been quite, you've been here about? About a year? About a year.
0: It's been a huge transition for sure. Like I flew from Liberia to New York, and I was like, <laughs> That's, it, "It was a huge a, contrast."
1: But uh, Robertsport is a very small fishing village. It is. So what a what a big change!
0: It, it was a big change.
1: But the reason that you're on the podcast today is because Alfonso has a whole lot to teach us, and I mean this from the deepest, deepest part of my heart. I've learned so much from you about resilience and coming out of very hard things and you know we talk a lot about mindfulness and meditation and trauma but there has been no one who is walks the walk in the way that you do so would it be okay for you to just say a little bit more about like who you are and kind of A little bit more context About where you come from Let's start with What your interest is And now How you came To the United States And what you're interested In doing right now
0: Uh, Definitely Again I'm Afonzo Appleton And I'm a Liberian President of the Liberian Surfing Association I'm a photographer And a surfer And and An educator In a way Because I used used to run The Liberian Surfing Association Surf school And Teach kids how to surf And not just surfing But seeing the positive side of the sport and understanding that the value of it and the value of the community and also pursuing the education and not only surfing.
1: So you are a real inspiration to the kids.
0: I usually refer to myself as a mentor.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: I think I was more of a mentor to the kids and for me that was a blessing because growing up in Liberia, a sport, there isn't a lot of opportunities. Liberia, you know, in, in particular it has a long history of of 15 years of broken civil war and the deadly ebola and you know there has been a lot that was destroyed in the civil war we had an entire decade of generation of youth that did not have the proper education and and for that reason i think it, it led to a lot of issues in the country, like a high level of poverty and and the damage of infrastructure and the lack of ignorance to certain things because people wasn't educated and it was not that far. It was just part of the system just because they they didn't have access to education for a very long time.
1: If you don't mind, Alfonso, would you share with folks, because I know some of what you're here to do is to share some of your story because you're talking about your country and Robert Sport in Liberia in particular but when you say that Liberia has been through war that that means you've been through Exactly Yeah so, would you would you mind sharing a little bit more personally?
0: Definitely. So I was actually born during the first Civil War, because the first Civil War started in 1989, and I was born within the, the early 90s. And the Civil War actually lasted for about over a decade. So, during the second Civil War, which I was about 10 years old, that was probably 2001, my family was originally from Robertsport. So, I was born in Robertsport during the war at the St. Timothy Government Hospital. And because of the situation at that point in time, it was very risky to live in Robertsville.
1: So it was risky to stay. What was the risk?
0: There were a lot of killings and there were a lot of violence. People were being mistreated. There was no sense of security. You could be tortured or hurt at any time and there was no law and order. And people's houses were being looted and women was being raped. And there was a lot, of, there was really a lot of bad stuff going on at that point in time. And my family thought it was that it, it was not, no longer safer to, to live in Robertsport. And so we traveled overnight because at that point in time, it was, the rebels had controlled the entire time and fishermen were worrying a lot to go fishing. And being from a fishing family,
1: that was your that livelihood. was our only
0: source of income. That was our life, basically, you yes, know, my dad is yes. a fisherman, my granddad was a fisherman, um, that was our only source of income and it would life just became harder and so we had to pedal in a little canoe we call it the canoe back in liberia you could call it fishing boat over the Atlantic ocean and we made our way to monrovia escaping the rebels
1: oh wow really
0: yeah because Barrow's at that point in time was controlled by the rebels, and there was. But just,
1: that's a long way. That's yeah, not a small. It was
0: way. that was hundreds and thousands of miles. So we right,
1: and the bullets you're talking about are these very um,
0: tiny kingdom. It was made. It's it's actually made from like a log in the forest. So by ha-
1: a log, you're talking about a tree.
0: Yeah, like a big tree. A
1: hollowed out tree.
0: Yeah. So normally, how did how how it works that. Like, the people go into the bush and they cut a tree down with an axe. So that's for a couple, like days and days and yeah, weeks and it months. Trees it takes a while to just cut just to
1: cut the tree down. Right.
0: And and then cut the tree down, kind of dig into it, get men from the community mm-hmm. to help and, and just put it from the forest to the beach. So it's like, it's, it's a lot of work. And for our family, that's like our biggest property because it means a lot.
1: That's right. That's, it's, it's everything. It's, it's what you own. It's exactly. The, it's the boat. <laughs> it or- is. And what is it called again?
0: It's called a kino. Kino. Yeah.
1: And you have to balance it. Right. It's not like, I mean, that's it. It's just basically imagine kind of floating on a tree trunk. Uh, yeah, on, <laughs> top been, <laughs> on
0: top of the ocean. On top of
1: of the ocean that's been hollowed out.
0: Exactly. That's and the, then
1: you go how many miles?
0: Hundreds of miles. <laughs>
1: hundreds of miles. We to were, safety
0: Yeah we were on the thunderstorm lighting And fortunately we made it to Monervia Do you
1: remember this?
0: I remember that oh. I was pretty young But I still remember going through All the, all the extreme circumstances And yeah we finally made it to Monervia Where we, my family and I settled For a little while. I mean, we live close to the ocean because that was our source of income. So we we kept... That was your
1: livelihood. Yeah, my true. dad
0: kept fishing. I used to go fishing with my dad. That was exactly what took care of the family. And again, the second war hit. And that was during the early 2000s, 2000, 2002, 2003. And we were, we were in Virginia when that war started. And it was not good either. There was a lot of looting. There was... During the second war, there was a lot of child soldiers and there was a lot of friends that I knew. They were being forced to carry guns and they were being forced to go and fight.
1: So by child soldiers, you mean that these kids were, were they kidnapped? Were they, they were for they were. A
0: lot of them were kidnapped. A lot of them were forced to, to do what, what they was doing. They, they didn't do it willingly. And, that's and, right. They, they and, were. Uh, and at certain point in time, they had to use drugs and alcohol to keep up to what it was, what they were going through. Because yes. it was really hard, like at that age to experience what they were experiencing.
1: Sure. And they were like 10. Yeah.
0: 10. And people were 12, 13. Right. Maximum. And it was just.
1: And how were you protected from being recruited into the army?
0: I think my family really played a big role in that because my dad and my mom, they didn't really want me to be a child soldier. Uh-huh. And, and so I was kept home a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I was like in rooms, hiding in room. And when the rebel was coming around, my grandmom would go and hide me in the bush.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: yeah, we just, my family did the best they could to kind of secure the entire family to not like carry on gun and fight the war. I'm really grateful to my grandma for that. Like none of my uncles, None of my family ever carried on. Like when I have like I have eight uncles, and through the entire Civil War, none of them became a soldier. Wow,
1: that's yeah. quite remarkable.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm grateful to my grandma for that. She really stood up to making sure everyone was like on top of everything and making sure that we were all making sure we were going to the bush and hiding all the time because you had to hide. At the end of the day, people were in those that were being recruited. A lot of people were they didn't do it well, and they they were forced to do what they did.
1: So do you mind if I ask, how did your grandmother have that kind of fortitude to know to hide you and to stand up to these very scary soldiers and the forces to be like, how did how did she know to do that?
0: Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, my grandmother was is one person that I know. She's she's like she's like an iron lady. She stands up a lot. She's, she's wait
1: wait. Like, she's an iron lady. An
0: iron lady. Oh, that's
1: she's, wonderful.
0: Yeah, she stands up a lot. She, she's very she's very hardworking uh, and she's like yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of time growing up as a kid with her because I didn't get to spend much time with my mom. She's very religious. My grandma with the witness. So
1: her faith, her faith probably she, helped. Yeah, too. She, she, her
0: faith really helped her a lot because mm-hmm. she believed in. My my grandma with a witness, she believed in Jesus and she believed in God. And and she, for her, she didn't want to see that happen to anyone of her kids, of her grandkid being mm-hmm. a soldier. Mm-hmm. And so she did the best she could mm-hmm. to keep everyone safe and and not becoming a soldier. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And and so. As I said, during during that period in time, there were soldiers coming to our house every now and then, taking our food, like, you know, looting our house, and and there was nothing you could do because they had guns. And at that point in time, they were the authority. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens, they made a decision and no one could do anything.
1: So even though you were kept safe from becoming a child soldier, you were still must have been terrified mm-hmm. hiding in the bush.
0: Definitely, I mean, we were definitely terrified that we couldn't do anything. We were not going to school anymore. We didn't have freedom to walk around because you couldn't see young people walking around in the street. It right? was well,
1: young men, especially yeah, especially
0: young men. You that like, you don't want to do that. Like if you get caught, you're oh. gonna get carried straight away to to the, the recruitment center. Uh-huh. And whether you like it or not, you're gonna be a soldier. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want him to be a soldier. Right. <laughs> and yeah, so it, there was a really bad sense of security. You didn't have no freedom to walk around. There was no access to doing anything right. as a kid. You you couldn't go play. You could not go to school. You couldn't associate with friends. And that really affected my life in a, in a really bad way.
1: Well, and Alfonso, you've also talked about, and you mentioned this just at the very beginning of the podcast, that school wasn't happening for anyone the young men that were recruited i think you've said before that the infrastructure the schools themselves were bombed out right there were no supplies there was no teachers so there's this whole generation in liberia where that no one had access to education and this part of the story ends up affecting you and everyone later
0: exactly when humanity is is affected with with a big issue, I think it affects every other thing that that is connected to it mm-hmm. and 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 I think prior to the civil war that it, it affected like the entire generation of young people in Liberia that also affected every other aspect of the country like the infrastructure, the, the this people's sense of awareness and understanding and processing how things work in terms of government, there was, there's, there's a massive corruption because people are just all about themselves and-, and, 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 and Survival, and, survival, and, and, survival. Exactly, people just want to survive and they don't have that sense of understanding the reality of knowing something that was wrong and something that is, is, is not legal to to another person and yeah, I think the war really affected every single young person during that age in time that was that was growing up because people were not going to school. And the fact that for over a decade, the youth that lost education and now they're in the, like the early 20s and 30s without proper education and... That also affected the health system because now you have millions of young people that don't have a proper education. And they cannot work because they're not educated. They don't have the proper education. Yet Yes, they do want to work. But, I mean, it's not a fault because they don't have the proper education. And for that reason, you have people that are working in offices that are not qualified. You have people that are working in the hospital that are not qualified. And, and that affects everything.
1: Right, which sets us up for the second part of the story, which is you've been through a few big things in your life.
0: Right. Growing up as a kid, I mean, experiencing a civil war was very devastating, and and then there was the entire phase of Ebola.
1: Ebola. The the Ebola
0: epidemic. And that was tragic. I can say Ebola was even worse than a civil war, like in terms of your sense of awareness, you know, a, a sense of... During Ebola, you work up every day and pray that you will see the next day because no one had and had an idea who was gonna be infected I mean yet and still people were doing the preventive matter. The civil war I think also linked to the spread of the Ebola epidemic because the fact that a lot of people got affected by the civil war and they didn't have the proper education right so and and that led to people not understanding and believing the Ebola from the onset, from the beginning of it. When Ebola started in Liberia from the early stage, people were talking about it and they were making awarenesses. A lot of people ignore it and, and they thought the government were making out something to get funds from bigger organizations. They thought the government were making out something. It was kind of a lie. And because the government is corrupt, which is true. But at the same time, Ebola was real. And it was harder. To make people in, in the country understand that Ebola was, it's a sickness that exists, and it there, was it
1: was an infectious disease. It was an infectious disease that was preventable.
0: It was preventable, and it's it's actually something that you can learn about and understand.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: people were weren't that educated. They wasn't that sensitized because a lot of people were just ignorant. It was not that fault. It was just because. They haven't had access to education prior to the Civil War. And that, I think, be, the spread of Ebola. And Ebola just killed a lot of people. That's right. And it was just, it was terrible. So and and I lived through the Ebola. Thank okay. God I didn't die. My mom was an Ebola victim. My mom got Ebola, but fortunately, she, she survived. She was at a treatment facility for months. But thank God she made it. I'm really grateful to go after that. And, I mean, overall that I've been through, the worst thing I've been through in my life was losing my daughter. I had an 18-month-old daughter that got ran over of a car. And, honestly, I think she shouldn't have died if we had a proper health system in our country. I mean, when she got hit by the car, she, we, she was ran to the hospital. She got stabilized. She was still living. But she had a brain trauma. And the doctor couldn't figure out what was happening to her because the doctors and the nurses wasn't trained enough. They didn't have the right education. They didn't have the right facility to understand what was happening. Due to that, two days later, she died. And it was just, it was frustrating. It was very painful.
1: So those of you that are listening may be like, oh, why this is so difficult to hear, and why are you putting Alfonso through this? Alfonso wants to tell these stories because he wants to raise awareness. Exactly. Exactly. Because there's a second half of this. And I think people want to hear, how are you okay? How are you here? And what are you sitting here doing? Why did you come to the United States? What's your next chapter in your life? How did you get through this?
0: First, God, because I believe in God. I'm a Christian. Uh-huh. <laughs> and,
1: so your faith. Your faith has really yeah, helped I'll, you. Yeah, it's been, I have Yes, faith. yes.
0: And I think overall, I'm a surfer. I've been surfing for like 10 years or more I think. <laughs> Surfing is just helping get centered and grounded every day. And it keeps me focused. Whenever I walk into the water and it's like meditation. The ocean is is, is people think it's it's rough and it's and it's and it's scary but for me it's quiet. It has that feeling of connection for me. And it keeps me centered and grounded and I feel like it is my place of meditation that I always go in and, and meditate and stay focused. And I was fortunate to be a part of a program in 2010. I was a part of the Scorn Heart Fellows Program. Scorn Heart was a nonprofit American organization which facilitates extraordinary opportunity to young people with potential from extreme circumstances in life, like me. And being a part of the Scorn Heart Fellows Program, I learned a lot of tools meditation and in yoga and staying center and grounded and finding that fine balance. And that, I think, really helped me a lot. And also, my craft, photography. <laughs> I'm a photographer, and for me, photography really helped me to the healing process in a way where if I couldn't express what was happening, I could take a picture of it. And for me, photography is a universal language. You you don't have to be formally educated to understand a photograph. It speaks for itself. And Those were all tools that kind of helped me along the way of my trauma. And my goal is to use photography to help other people see another means of going through that trauma or pain in their life that they can exhale. Because I think at the end of the day, the goal is to find something that you can connect to and that gives you joy. Once you feel that sense of joy and, and, and sense of happiness, you can make your way forward.
1: Oh, that's so beautiful. I mean, I just feel teary. So let's go to the science of it as therapists and censored. So your faith is a very important embodied experience of connection and relationality that's alive. And so that's a super important piece. And there's a lot of research that shows that people that are in this alive relationship that is a faith-based relationship do better. And that can look a lot of different ways. And then you're in this physical experience. I probably shouldn't say this, but if you guys could see Alfonso, you could see that he's in a very physical relationship with the water. I mean, oh my gosh, he doesn't work out or whatever, but you can see that he works really hard in the water. Let's just say that. Thank you.
0: Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I never realized that.
1: <laughs> and that there's something, I think, very healing about that, because by working that hard physically, you're getting a lot of the endorphins out, and the stress response system has somewhere to go. But at the same time, it's also, as you're saying, it's connecting, it's meditative. There's a sense of mastery there's a sense of flow. You also talked about a community with exactly. your, with the surfing.
0: Right. I think that also really helped me. Um, I'm the president of the Librarian Surfing Association, and working with these amazing young people has just been a, like a blessing to me. And every day that I wake up and go to the beach and give the kids lessons about surfing, and not just surfing, but life lessons, we normally have – like, touring classes for kids that are part of the surf club. You have to be going to school that's mandatory to be a part of the surf club. Oh, that's great. It's it's not all about surfing. We want people, the kids, to understand that they can use surf as a means to give more back to the community and the self. Yep. But in order to do that, you have to be mentally and physically equipped. Yep. And part of that is that you have to go to school. Yep. And so... We help kids out with, doing tutoring with our assignments and stuff at a surf hut. We have a surf club house in, in Liberia, Robert Sport.
1: That's fantastic.
0: And yeah, it just it brings me a lot of joy working with these kids every day. And well, and it
1: gives you meaning. It gives you purpose. Exactly. And it gives them the same thing. It gives them community. It gives them a sense of mastery physically and an outlet. But also, you mentioned, and I've seen the video of this, and maybe we can link it to our show notes. Of an art project you did in Liberia.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a couple of years ago, that was 2015, we worked on an art project called the Librarian Project. So we did it in cooperation with our Aparture is an art and design blog. And so I co created a project with Aparture. It's called the Librarian Project. The goal of the project was to help people clear the notion in, of Liberia, to transform the. Outside was thinking, you know, a lot of times people think about Liberia, it's about war and child soldiers, and there are people that are going to stay in the streets, and people are still traumatized, everything is bad. Everything happened, yes, but people are healing. Yes. And things are changing. And people's minds are beginning to explore. And people want to see new things. People want to do new things in their life. And it's not all about war again. It's, it's about transformation. And the project was about transformation and showing the transformative face of my country, Liberia, and specifically, Rawa specifically.
1: I love that because when I was there, I remember... There were still bombed out buildings. Right. (laughs) Uh, No electricity, no running water. I mean, it was rough in a way that really surprised me. So, When I saw the video and the art was so beautiful and you could see you and your mates like physically (laughs) doing the art and doing all this really cool stuff. It was fantastic. So we're going to put a link to that in the show notes. And the last thing that you had mentioned was the photography. And you must know that Alfonso is a published photographer, which is really fantastic. And he just really has a eye for it and a really natural talent for it. You just went through the International Center, of photography, uh, Center for Photography New in York. New York. That's actually part of what brought him to the United States. Right. So he successfully graduated from that. He's uh, hoping for some more projects here. So that is fantastic. And I love your point about, again, about the wordlessness so that you don't have to read or you don't have to speak the language. People can understand the emotion of photography. The other thing I love about it, as you're saying, is that that you can express yourself, that it's sort of a right brain experience, that you can express your grief. Right. You can put things out there that are wordless, that sometimes it's like something hurts so much and you can't. You can't
0: really talk about you it. Can't you can't really express it. it. Yeah.
1: But boy, when somebody sees the right image, they can feel it they with you. They can feel you. it. Yeah. They can feel it with you. Exactly. And Alfonso is very interested in working collaboratively with StrongHeart and with some of some project partners to do more related to global mental health. Exactly. And so we're really excited about helping support that, hopefully. And we really hope that we see more of this.
0: Definitely.
1: Because it's, you know, there's really such an under-recognition I mean, you know, we just heard a few minutes of what just one person has been through. And a lucky person, relatively speaking. I want to brag for just a moment. There was a picture. He just got to go just last week. He got a seat at the UN being able to represent global mental health on some subcommittees. And there was a picture of him sitting there at this, you know, oval table at the actual UN not the model UN many of you who have teenagers get to do the model UN this was the real UN and he was sitting there with his eyes closed in total peace and calm from his meditation practice that was taught to him by Strongheart one of the some of the members of Strongheart who learned it from interpersonal neurobiology and Dan Siegel and Alfonso got to meet Dan Siegel just right. the other day when we were interviewing him. I was like, hey, Dan, guess who this is? So Dan knew that they he had some people in Africa that was learning some of the work. So this whole thing has come full circle. It's been so fun. But that I got to see Alfonso at the UN practicing meditation that started way back. It's just been the most beautiful thing. And it is. he's taught me so much that even in these extremely high stressful situations, in a very different way, right? It's being at the UN maybe next week in London, <laughs> having this world impact by being able to tell your story and teach us and help us learn about resilience and still using meditation.
0: Right. I think the meditation is like an everyday thing for me. Yes. Um it's just for me like I have to I wake up every day, I have to it in and get grounded and meditation really helps me do that. Oh, and to so just beautiful. have my day going, and, and I think it's really important.
1: So a couple more questions. What is the most common misconception about Africa, particularly in the United States, let's say?
0: Like if I common in the United States, I think. Um, people think about Africa, a lot of times they think about war. There's still war going on, and there's a lot of poverty, which it is, there's a lot of poverty. Um, but
1: So kind of maybe we pity
0: yeah, pe- we pity p- yeah we pity people pity Africans. Africa. Yeah, people pity Africa Africans a lot and and people there's a misconception that oh Africans are lazy yeah. and like African men are, are bad or they're
1: scary. They're
0: scary and, and and for me I think that's not true. I think the people of Africa are strong and they're willing to work and they're smart and they just don't have the opportunity. It is just what it is. And, and I believe that the the worst in start to see things from different angles and that will bring more life to humanity and we all can live together in one world and be happy.
1: And then what about people who are going through hard times right now? Do you have any words of inspiration? So coming from somebody who has had all of these most extreme hardships, what might you say to somebody who's going through their own hard time?
0: Kind of reflect on, on who I am personally. For me, Photography and surfing has really helped me to navigate to some of the worst and devastating circumstances that I've been through in my life. It has really helped me to see my, myself from a different angle, and not just me, but it has given me a platform, a way that I, I could help illuminate my community. And that is really, really important to what I'm here today, it's, it's, really, it's a big part of what has brought me far today, and uh, I would like to kind of go back to that and, and think about that all the time when I when when I talk to people, and and I hope to use that tooth I hope to, the camera. I hope to use that as as a means of sharing my story and and giving other people the opportunity to have, hopefully to help them heal, and if there's any other person that I that are going to a mental health problem or very hard times in their life or they have been through something really bad and, and they can't get over it. I just wanted to understand that they are not alone. There are millions of people out there that are going through this every day. I think it's really important to talk about it. The more we talk about it, the more open society becomes to us. The more people kind of connect to to you and understand where you're going through. And overall, it just find something you love find something you love doing and something that brings you joy something that makes you happy because that was a really key part of my transformation that was a really key part of my healing i love surfing i love photogra- i love photographing the camera made me happy every time I, I hit the shutter it brought me joy i could sense it find something you love doing and once you, you can connect to something into society and that made you happy you have you have you can definitely have have a connection of healing and being on that path. And I want you to understand that you're not alone. There are a lot of people, and you can always get out of that situation. I know it's, it's hard. You can feel stuck in your life. You feel there are not a lot of options, but there's always a means. You just have to believe and understand that you're not alone.
1: My gosh, that's so beautiful. And you're saying not only are you not alone and you're going to survive, but you're talking about joy.
0: Right. <laughs> It was just important. <laughs> uh, yes.
1: Oh my gosh! Thank you so much, Alfonso.
0: Thank you. It, it's been was a great pleasure. So
1: incredible, and I wish you such luck in the projects that you have ahead. I think you're going to do such great things. Is there a email or a way for if listeners wanted to get in touch with you or with Strongheart? Is there a way? Is there an email address or anything? Yeah,
0: definitely. You can email me at Alfonso nineteen. So Alfonso is spelled A-L-P-H-A-N-S-O-19 at gmail.com. That's my personal email. You can also email me on AlfonsoAppleton at strongheartgroup.org. So Alfonso again is A-L-P-H-A-N-S-O and Appleton is A-P-P-L-E at strongheartgroup.org.
1: Okay everybody, thanks for listening. And all kinds of cool things coming at you. Please be sure and share this episode. Leave us a voicemail on our website, www.therapistuncensored.com. Let us know what you think, anything else you'd like to hear, any feedback. We like to play listener feedback on the podcast. And one of the best things you can do for us is rate us and review us. That's one of the ways that, you know, people look at the rating and reviews to see whether or not they want to listen to the podcast. So thanks for listening and we'll see you right around the bend. Therapist Uncensored is Anne Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.